0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to Mark 3 as we get started this morning. Mark chapter 3. As we look at verses 13 through 19. We'll also refer occasionally to Luke six twelve through 16 being the primary, uh, the primary text for event 16 in the Galilean ministry, the selection of the 12 apostles. There is a third text, Matthew chapter 10, that relates by virtue of it being a list, by being a list of the 12 apostles, but it comes in a different setting than this one. So it's not included as a parallel text because the event there is, uh, is different. But it is a parallel text in the sense that it is a listing of the Twelve Apostles, as is the listing that we have in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. Obviously, that's not a parallel to Mark 3 and Luke 6, but by virtue of it being a catalog or an apostologue of the Twelve Apostles, then uh, it's certainly a passage that we want to refer to. Before we begin our study this morning, let's take time for silent prayer to assure that distractions are set aside. We can concentrate upon his truth, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your grace and your truth. Thankful, Father, for your mercies, which are renewed each day. Great is thy faithfulness. We call upon your faithfulness on this day to set aside the distractions and the concerns. Father, to uh, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And we thank you for this privilege and this blessing. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, this is episode 16, so we are almost at the bottom of page 1. How about that? Only two and a half more pages to go. So far as the uh, Harmony of the Gospels is concerned, there are 56 events in the Galilean ministry, which is by far the longest of the uh, sections of the life of Christ. And we're dealing now with a selection of the 12. Our next event will be the Sermon on the Mount, which you can also anticipate will be uh, multiple messages on the Sermon on the Mount. But as we read it in Mark chapter 3, we had the triple uh, events which were Sabbath controversies followed by a, uh, an attempted w- uh, retreat or withdrawal. We read about in verse 7 where he withdrew and uh, even getting away from it all didn't allow him to get away from it all because the multitudes were continuing to follow him. And when the Jews were abandoning him, the Gentiles were uh observant and, and we made comment upon that in the past couple of weeks. Mark the Gospel of Mark points out some of the technical difficulties, some of the uh, shall we say, logistical circumstances that were uh presenting problems, and as it says in verse nine, Mark three nine, he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowds. So more and more of the uh, logistical matters were in need of the disciples taking care of and as that increased as the ministry increased uh, there were reasons why uh, a certain number in this case 12 of the disciples are going to be set apart and put to a variety of work assignments not simply um the administrative things not just simply the logistical things not just simply uh having boats prepared getting food purchased going into town doing this and that it starts there but it goes far beyond all that and hopefully we're going to be able to see where the selection of these 12 apostles is ultimately a proving ground it is Uh, setting them apart for service and then being found faithful in that service, entrusting them with additional responsibilities to include teaching and and miracles and casting out demons and a variety of other things. Ultimately, once this dispensation comes to a close and the new coming dispensation opens, these are going to be the very men that are going to establish the church. That is, the, the foundation of the church being built upon the apostles and the prophets. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, though. And I've already blown it in one sense by referencing the church. Because where we are right here, right now, in studying the life of Christ, forget you know anything about the church. There is no church. The church is a mystery. It's not yet revealed. We know a lot of these things because of hindsight, and we can look back. They don't know any of this. They are disciples of Jesus Christ in the dispensation of Israel following the Messiah following the anointed one and he has a work assignment he's sending them to and that includes the title apostle which is not strictly a church term because it precedes the church they are apostles of the lamb as a part of the dispensation of Israel and hopefully we'll have uh, more to say on that or that will become evident as we uh, as we proceed Well, verse 13, he went up on the mountain and summoned, doesn't say which mountain, but he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right, there is your Decapostologue, your list of the 12 apostles. The account over in Luke is very similar. Luke 6, you know, hold your finger there. I'm going to be primarily in Mark 3 today. Luke 6, verse 12, And it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. Now, the order on this is a little different uh, because we've already covered verses 17 through 19 in Luke. Luke records the calling of the twelve prior to the withdrawal. And uh, in the other accounts, it appears it's best to take it with the selection of the twelve immediately following the withdrawal, but prior to the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke, you see the Sermon on the Mount beginning there with verse 20 with the uh, the Blessed R's, the Beatitudes. All right, but verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. Again, it doesn't say which mountain, simply the mountain. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John. Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. All right, so there's your listing there. You have the handout, or you can get the, the handout after class on the four to Deck apostologues. We won't read the Matthew one today or the one in Acts 1, but they are listed in the chart for you just for comparative purposes. We will reference those lists, though, as we go through this study now some observations and i'm going to give this to you under six points of study first of all mark and luke each record it's a long word a dodecapostolog that is a list of the twelve apostles after a night of prayer both gospels reference the night of prayer mark and luke each recorded a Dodecapostologue after a night of prayer Often we uh, lose track of the fact that uh, the Lord, because we read through the Gospels, and it just seems like Jesus always knows what he's doing. I mean, it always seems that he goes here, he goes there, and everything seems to work out. And he's obeying the Father, and he's he's uh, filled with the Spirit. And everything seems like he just never has a moment's doubt. And hopefully passages like this will cause us to consider the fact that, yes, he had many moments of doubt. He had many moments where he had to stop and consider his ways. He had to commit things to prayer. And if he didn't have clear guidance and direction, he wasn't just going to proceed forward and wing it. He was going to continue in prayer until he receives his answer. Why is it that he spends the whole night in prayer? Why doesn't he just, you know, give it an hour or so and then go get a good night's sleep? Because the answer didn't come in an hour or so. The answer wasn't given after an hour. And stop and consider how many disciples he had to pray over. Because it was far more than just the 12 we have listed here. He was praying over several others. And I have no doubt that Matthias was right here on this day at this time, as was Judas. uh, And we'll see that the two that were put forward to replace Judas Iscariot. They were here, as well as how many others? All right. And the Lord was prayerfully considering each one of them in the process of this in the process of this uh, night of prayer. Alright. So point A. Matthew's gospel also contains a Dodek Matthew's Gospel, Matthew ten, one through four. Matthew also records a list of the twelve, but not until the twelve are sent out on a training assignment. And we will deal with this under event number thirty four. Galilean Ministry event number thirty four. So it's not at this time in other words, Matthew chose to, in his gospel, chose to put a listing of the twelve at a different place. Okay? And in Matthew 10, it doesn't specifically say that this is when he selected them. It says these were the twelve and he was sending them out. Event number 34, by the way, uh, comes after uh, Nazareth's second rejection of the Christ. It comes after several other miracles that we're very familiar with, and right before the feeding of the 5,000. So it's coming up almost a year later than the events we're describing right now here in event 16. And we'll describe those uh, aspects in Matthew 10 and why it was that they were given this training assignment, how, what it was they were expected to accomplish as he sent them out two by two. But that we will reserve for a future, uh, a future lesson. Sub-point so B, Luke, that is the author, also includes a dodeck in his book of Acts. It's actually not accurately a dodeck because it only has 11 names. Uh, you'd have to call it something else. I think it's a hendecapostolog, which is a list of the 11 apostles. All right, but that comes in Acts one thirteen. Even though Luke is the author of the text here in Luke, he's also the author of the text in Acts, there are differences between the two lists. Same author, differences in the lists, and it helps us to relax in the fact that they do come in different orders. We don't get paranoid about the orders and why they're different. We do make observations about the order, uh, the internal details of each order, and uh, but we don't want to go beyond that. We don't want to get all wrapped up in a particular order in a particular text because there are, in fact, differences. There's even differences in the names that are employed, and hopefully we can be relaxed about that as well. All right. We, by the way, do the same thing. If you start to list, you know, list the six deacons and you might do that and come up with them in different orders every time. Right. Or list uh, the different pastors you've had in your life. Well, assuming you've had more than one or two, if you've only had one or two, then that's a pretty short list and probably you can put them in order. But anything else, if it's a longer group and you're trying to list them out, you're going to list them as you think of them, and then maybe the ones you don't think about as often, um, you're going to go, oh yeah, I forgot about them, and you put them in a different order, so to speak. Now secondly, we notice that this is in the morning, after the night of prayer, after he's come to these decisions, he summoned, Luke calls it his disciples, and Mark terms it, those whom he himself wanted. In the morning, Jesus summoned his disciples. Sounds rather possessive, doesn't it? But it's important that we phrase it that way. In the morning, Jesus summoned his disciples. Luke 6:12, semicolon. Perfect use of semicolon, by the way, according to Lynn Truss. I'm going to recommend Eat, Shoots, and Leaves. If you have any weakness with punctuation, Eat, Shoots, and Leaves is a wonderful book. I can thank Robert Jewell for providing that for me. In the morning, comma, Jesus summoned his disciples, Luke 6:12, semicolon, those whom he himself wanted, reference there being in Mark 3 and verse 13. Interestingly enough, that included the betrayer. He himself wanted Iscariot. It wasn't thrust upon him. It wasn't contrary to his own will. The father didn't throw that in there overruling Jesus saying, no, I don't want him. Judas himself was included among those whom Jesus, he himself, wanted. The number is unknown, but may have been nearly a hundred. And that is often overlooked. There is nothing in this immediate text that tells us that it was only the twelve. And there is every reason to believe that it was beyond that number. And I believe considerably beyond that number. All right? Because if there were only 14, and he picks out 12, well, what does that say about the other two? (laughs) No, there were considerably more. In fact, the language here that communicates this selection indicates that the, the 12 is the minority, and probably the vast minority, in order to minister to the remainder all right? It's not, you know, obviously if, if there's 14 disciples and the Lord needs help because he's overwhelmed, he's not going to appoint 12 of them to help with the remaining two. Okay? If if there's only 14, for instance, if you have a church that only has 14 members, you don't need a pastor and 12 deacons. Right? So you only have two guys that aren't either the pastor or the deacons? What, you know, what's that? Okay? So the number, I believe, includes the 70 that we're going to look at, but also those beyond that and uh, the two that we know about from Acts that, were, that lots were cast for in the deciding of who would replace Judas. We'll look at them as well. The number is unknown, but may have been nearly 100. Again, just reading here from Mark chapter 3, he summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now, it doesn't say how many. But those whom he himself wanted, they were appointed and they came. So this was a Bible class by invitation only. It was his invitation. It wasn't as if on other occasions where he was going somewhere and he didn't publicize it ahead of time. And he just happened to be there. And then people discovered that he was there. And then they flocked around him. This was a prearranged appointment. Those that were here were here by invitation, including the twelve, but more than the twelve. And those whom he himself wanted. Think about it. If the only ones he summoned were the twelve, then how would anybody else know who the twelve were? Right? But if he brought together the seventy, as well as the twelve, as well as the leading women, as well as the others that were listed as his followers, as well as perhaps the, uh, the undercover Pharisees like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and so many others, if they were all here, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and we don't know, but it could have easily approached a hundred or surpassed a hundred. If all of them were here, and I think the text supports that, then they all know who the twelve are, because they were all there, present to witness the selection of the twelve, to witness their anointing, as it were, to witness their commission. And so they, when, whenever the twelve are then sent forth, the remainder of the apostles' record or the remainder of the disciples. Recognize that these are the apostles, and that they are speaking with the Lord's authority. In uh, probably the language in Luke is the most descriptive of the fact that there are many there, many are called, but few are chosen. There are many there who were called, but only a few, that is 12, who were chosen. To, uh, to this work assignment. To dispensation of Israel apostolic ministry. Alright. This is not the spiritual gift of apostle. That doesn't come until the church age. But this is a commission under the stewardship of Israel. As apostles of the Lamb. Because the Christ himself. The Lamb of God is present. In Luke 6. Uh, when day came he called his disciples to him. And. And chose 12 of them. And that indicates that it is a subgroup of a much larger group. If he selects 12 of them, that tells you that he didn't just call 12 to begin with. He called an unknown number and he chose 12 of them out of that larger number. All right, And I think that the language there is, uh, is unmistakable. Now, there's another group of disciples over in Luke chapter 10. If you just flip a few chapters over and uh, this may be a group you've never heard of before. Not as known as the twelve. They didn't go on to become apostles. At least most of them didn't, perhaps. All right. A lot of traditions about who these 70 are. But in Luke chapter 10, we read after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. So this is beyond the twelve, 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carry no money belt. There's a lot of instructions that go along in here, similar to instructions that he gives the 12 disciples in Matthew 10. And I think because of the similarities, there's a lot of confusion as people blend those two, uh, those two uh, incidents. Anyway, who are these 70? There is nowhere in Luke 10 that we're told, now the names of the 70 disciples are these. And then we get a, Septuagint apostologue, right? No, there is no listing of these 70 disciples. They are left unnamed. We uh, uh, have some assumptions to make with respect to some of the ones later, but we don't know specifically who these 70 are. There's traditions. For instance, Stephen, the first deacon, the first martyr, and the first that's uh, recorded there, it's a long-standing belief that he was originally one of the 70. Okay. And, and, and that comes about. But unfortunately, it's a tendency in the early apocrypha, it's a tendency to take anybody and to give them a shred of credibility, just simply say, well, he was one of the 70. Right? And you've got this apocryphal uh, gospel of Fred or whoever. Okay? Plenty of these phony gospels out there. And, in you know, a measure of, of credibility to say, who was one of the 70? Ministered with Jesus. And now this is what he says, right? And, okay, it lends a little credibility to Fred or whoever it is claiming to be an apostle, but there's also the, the thing about that kind of credibility, there's no verifiability about it. How do you say he was? How do you say he wasn't? Because there's no names given here in Luke chapter 10. So beyond anything else we might do with the 70, uh, we at least have to acknowledge that there were many more disciples than simply the 12 apostles. That there were, well, at one point, up to 5,000 where he feeds the 5,000. Now, were they all disciples? No. But they were certainly crowds. And I think uh, we have to bear in mind that his disciples is far more than, uh, than what we normally associate with him, far more than the 12. Now, stop to consider, what does it mean when we say his disciples? Is that from his viewpoint or their viewpoint? from his viewpoint it's from his viewpoint he summoned his disciples now think about well in a local church think about people that come in here and they stay for years and years they never do become members but they uh they're in the fellowship directory and they participate in everything all the teaching and prayer meetings and Potlucks and everything else, but they're not formally members, but they're here, all right. So now stop to think about it. You have to look at this in two directions. Would they consider me to be their pastor? Probably so. Yeah, probably so. If you if you visited more than two or three times and whatever, you just start to naturally put yourself into that mode. Would I consider them my sheep? I would tend to think so after, uh, you know, a few times visiting and after it becomes clear that this is the flock where you belong and you start to participate in and so forth. And absolutely. But could could there be a circumstance where somebody comes in and considers a person not their pastor? See, in other words, they just visit. They're glad for the teaching, but he's not really my pastor because my pastor is a tape recorder. Or my pastors somewhere else? Or I visit three or four different churches and none of them are my pastor. See, that's quite possible. Okay? Or, what if a person comes in and visits, maybe comes occasionally, often, whatever, but he's not even saved? Am I his pastor? Would he consider me his pastor? Would I consider him my sheep? Because a member of the body of Christ is a born-again believer. You know, a unbeliever could be a member of, a, of an organization, but not a member of the body of Christ. Anyway, there's, there's, there's things to consider with respect to that. There were many that followed after Christ that considered Him their rabbi. But did He consider them His disciples? And I think that's where we have to stop to recognize. And uh, we saw that already in John chapter 2. A side trip, but important one. At the end of the chapter in John chapter 2, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning men, for he himself knew. What was in man? So there were a lot of followers, many of whom he considered to be his disciples. In other words, he entrusted himself to them. He accepted the shepherding responsibility over them. But then a much smaller group to which he entrusted himself even more, that is, the shepherding and leadership responsibility to his apostles. So it is noteworthy that he summoned his disciples. And then it's recorded in Mark, those whom he himself wanted. The number is unknown, but may have been nearly 100. We don't know. But we do know that there were many, many others. I would also give you at this point, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we'll have more to say about this when we detail the 12. 12. And uh, Peter stands up and he realizes, and they've got about 120 persons there in verse 15. And he said, Scripture had to be fulfilled that Judas would be a traitor. And it was fulfilled. And he cites the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, let another man take his office. Now, one of the things we're going to break down for you when we study spiritual gifts Not only in basic doctrinal studies, we have it coming up in basic doctrinal studies. We also have it coming up in 1 Corinthians. Because this year I anticipate we'll be in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And we'll have a lot of material on spiritual gifts that come in basically starting in chapter 12. And carry us through chapters 13 and 14. So this year and next we're going to have a lot of material on spiritual gifts. But we've noticed a difference between gifts and offices. Notice these aren't spiritual gifts. We're not in the church yet, but these are offices. And when he sets these 12 men apart, he places them in an office, and Judas held an office. Even though he was an unbeliever, he held an office. He forsook that office. That office is now vacant. That office needs a replacement. And verse 21 says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men whom, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So there are other disciples beyond the ones we know about that were with Jesus wire to wire, from beginning to end, from baptism to resurrection. Two of them, Joseph called Bar Sabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. We don't have a clue about either of those guys in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not a clue. There's not a hint to their existence in the Synoptic Gospels or in in the Gospel of John. But here they're presented. And they're presented as simply two out of who knows how many others that could claim to have been an eyewitness from baptism to resurrection. And so they put forth the two to occupy the ministry and apostleship. Notice that's office, not gift, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You ever want to plunge into the depths of something deep? Ask yourself, what was Judas' own place? Or where was Judas' own place? I guess you should start with the where and then decide what. And what was his own? Boy, that gets deep. All right. Beyond any of that. The lot uh, fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. And after that, they're called the twelve again. Consistently, they're called the twelve. We'll have more to say on that under point six. All right, thirdly, many were summoned or called, but only twelve were chosen and appointed to ministry as apostles. Many were called. Few were chosen. And whether you're looking at proscaleo or prosphoneto, Mark and Luke use different verbs, but the, the concept is still the same, that as he was gathering them, that invitation went out to a very large group, but the actual selection was minimal. Many were summoned or called. Twelve were chosen. Eklagamites, one of the word studies that you do with anytime you deal with anything in, in terms of election, in terms of God's sovereign choice. Whether that's God's sovereign choice in terms of salvation for eternal life, or whether it's God's sovereign choice in terms of a gift and a calling, spiritual gift and ministry, or God's choice of a bride for his son, or God's choice of an earthly nation. There are so many elections that uh, it's, uh, it's a lengthy study. But eklegatma is a verb that you would study in the context of that. Number 1586 is the Strong's Index number. They were chosen, but they were also appointed. The verb is poieo, which means to do or to make. They were made or done. They were appointed into this ministry. Many were called, few were chosen. Important to keep in mind when it comes to the uh, aspect of the local church and the ministry that comes with the calling and the choosing, the appointing of ministers in terms of the, the local church ministry. And we'll have more to say about that under spiritual gifts and the ecclesiology studies we're doing on Sunday mornings. Now, what were they chosen to do? Point four, the ministry of Hoi Dotica was twofold. Dotica, by the way, just means twelve. It's the Greek number for twelve. But they were called Hoi Dodica, the twelve. That was their title, the twelve. It's like if you're going to form a group, you've got to call it something. Even if it's the group with no name, that's what it is. It's the group with no name. Whatever it is, you've got to call it something. Otherwise, if you don't call it anything, what do you end up doing? Say, well, you know, we got this group and it's uh, whatever. Yeah. And you end up spending so much time describing it that, yeah, we got a group of, of a certain number of people that meet at a certain location at a certain time with a certain frequency and we participate in a certain activity. Or we could just simply say, Austin Bible Church. All right? We're a body of believers that assemble together at a location for the study of the Word of God. All right? And it's simple enough to just give it a title, give it a name, and there it is. Well, they have a title. They're called Hoidotica the Twelve. And they will be known as Hoidotika from this point forward. The ministry of Hoidotika. For those of you that aren't in our beginning Greek class, your Omicron Iota right here, your OI, has a rough breather on top. That little accent mark on top is your H. So that's Hoi. just tells you that it's Hoi instead of OI. Hoi, and then your D-O, long O, Omega, D-E-K-A, now, twofold. As we read it here in Mark, He uh, appointed twelve so that... Here's the purpose clause. He had a purpose for appointing them. He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him. First purpose. To be with Him. You say, well... <laughs> what was the problem there? There were scads of people that were with Him. Right. They were hounding him. They were following him. They wanted things from him. And they came and went depending on where he was. When he passed through the town, he, they flocked around him. See, when they left town, they stayed where they lived. They didn't, you know, these thousands didn't keep glomming onto him and following from town to town. They actually glommed onto him and tried to keep him there. You know, stay here. Build this first great church right here. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Not in Capernaum or anywhere else. He's going to be traveling around teaching in a variety of places. But to be with him, speaking of the intimate relationship as we have it in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. To be with him, meaning to be in a position of intimacy where they can be taught, they can be trained, they can grow in the grace of knowledge. To be with him. Also, we know that the fishermen have left their careers to become fishers of men. I believe this is the point where the remainder of the, of the 12 left their careers. We know Matthew left his tax collector business, so we know about five of them. But I think this is where all 12 of them now, whatever remaining ones still had part-time jobs or full-time jobs on the side, they walked away from those careers to be with him full-time under his ministry, supported by his ministry. Gotta stop to consider that before they can be teachers, they gotta be students. You know, before they're apostles out there doing miracles and writing the Bible and doing all this other stuff, they're disciples under the Word of God, studying and learning and so forth. And if, if, uh, you know, if a man can't be a decent student, he'll never be a decent pastor. Just a requirement. Because you're gonna spend the rest of your life studying the Word of God. To be with Him, but then secondly, to be sent out. To be with him, and then to be sent out. We have such a pattern here for the, the uh, pedagogical method of master and apprentice training, for example. Uh, Paul employed this with Timothy. Paul kept Timothy with him. They traveled. They did all these other things. But then at various stages of his training, then what did Paul do with Timothy? He sent him out. He dispatched him off to Philippi because there was no one else that had the shepherd's heart that would genuinely be concerned for their welfare. And so Timothy was sent out. The rest of them there, Paul kept with him. Okay? Are you familiar with that text in Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. See, this is a part of why I believe local church seminary is, has a far greater advantage over um, other forms of seminary preparation. In other words, the uh, isolated ivory towers of academia where a man goes off and just finds himself in a school setting and not really involved in a local church ministry where he's got professors and teachers rather than pastors over him and and, uh, a flock to deal with. But in Philippians chapter 2, he says uh, he's being poured out as a drink offering and, and all that. And uh, he says, you too, in verse 18, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. See, Paul was able to rejoice and share his joy with them. This is how prayer requests work. This is how we bear one another's burdens. This is how we, we can weep with those who weep and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. But in order to do that, obviously, you've got to know what's going on. And so Paul got a report about them from Epaphras and now, or Epaphroditus, and now he's giving a report about himself to them. And that way they can share in one another's sufferings and they can share in one another's victories. Then he says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And this doesn't mean that Timothy is the only partner he has at the moment. He's got several others. And he highlights them here in verse but 21, for they all, doesn't give names, but there's more than one, is they all. Seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But Timothy had already gone through a period of training with him and was now prepared to be sent out with a proper mental attitude, with the shepherd's heart. These other ones still had the uh, orientation to self that disqualified them from appropriately shepherding. But you know of his proven worth. That's why he cannot be a novice. It tells pastors not to be a novice. It tells deacons, let them first be tested. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furthering of the gospel like a child serving his father. And so Timothy is sent forth. So that's the pattern. With him and then sent out. The uh, time with him is spent training and preparing and learning and growing. Being tested, being proven faithful. See? If uh, and it's described here in terms of a father child relationship, and you can think of it as such, the mentor, the apprentice, the older man, the younger man, Paul and Timothy. All right. Such as Ralph was for me, the older man in my training. Okay, And um, if if issues crop up there where it becomes obvious to the old man that this young man's got some real uh, humility problems, can't handle being a student. Can't handle being uh, subject to the older man. Rebelling against it. Fighting it off. Thinking he knows better than the old guy. Right? Causing a church split. Taking half the church. Or causing a big church split. Throwing the old man out and taking the whole church. Okay? Well, those are the kind of things that you train and you test and you prove and you demonstrate. Because if, if, if the young man can't handle the heat in, in the in the training process... You know he's not going to handle the heat in the, in the fire of ministry. So you, you can weed him out right there before a whole church gets destroyed. When it comes right down to it. Now to be sent out, there are two things they were going to do to, when they got sent out. To preach, that is to communicate Bible doctrine. And secondly, to become fully engaged in the angelic conflict. Exemplified by the casting out of Demons. To preach, that is to proclaim doctrine. Gospel information in terms of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, but also edification information in terms of expounding upon the living and abiding Word of God. It becomes very obvious. We get the first uh, actual recorded messages of the apostles we get in the book of Acts, and those men had content. They had so much content, it stunned the Pharisees. They couldn't figure out how these Galilean fishermen had so much doctrine because they didn't go to any of their schools. So they were sent out to preach and to cast out demons. We read that here in uh, returning back to Mark 3. He appointed 12 so that, purpose clause, they would be with him and so that, second purpose clause, he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. To preach and to represent his authority in the angelic conflict. Stop to realize. That not only. Are when we train a man for the ministry. Not only are we giving him tools. Academic tools. You got to learn Greek. You got to learn Hebrew. You got to learn your systematic theology. You got to learn all these things. But it's not just that. You've got to be equipped to do battle. In the angelic conflict. Because you're the shepherd. And there's wolves out there. But what are you going to do? Those are the two aspects. And if uh, if a school is dedicated to. Uh, Supplying the academics, that's great. But are they supplying the angelic conflict information as well? Are they equipping a shepherd? Or are they just academically fitting out a teacher? See, and that's something we've held uh, conversations over with respect to Schaefer Seminary. They want to make sure that Schaefer doesn't just become an academic uh, uh, factual information, a gnosis mill, where all they get is the gnosis knowledge. But they have... Shepherding opportunities to be trained and to be developed and they have a shepherd heart before they ever leave. It's a uh, it's a big burden, I think, as long as they have guys like um, um, Ralph and, and particularly uh, Todd Kennedy and and Robbie Dean on their board of advisors. Uh, they will always have a shepherding impact uh, in, in their seminary. And I appreciate that. All right, let's look at the list and point five, the list. And for this, I don't have slides on this. i Trying to put a table on a PowerPoint slide was impossible. So you've got, I put a handout in your hands. There's the list. The four to-deck of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. John does not include a list of the twelve apostles. But we do have that list in the book of Acts. And we go down through here. We'll have some comments to make. It didn't come out as well on the photocopies, um, but I divided each list of 12 into three into thirds, so there will be a more solid line after the fourth name, and again a more solid line after the eighth name. You might have to draw that in darker if it didn't come out after, uh, very well on the photocopy. Likewise, there are shadings. I tried to shade those boxes in uh, in the three different parts. Um, well, let's take a look at some notes. First of all, before, actually, before I refer to the chart, let me just uh, give you the sub points on this. Sub so point A. Every list can be broken down into groups of four. Every list of 12 really consists of three lists of four. Every one of them. Every Dedecapostologue can be broken down into groups of four. It's natural division in the text. Everyday Apostolog can be broken down into groups of four. As uh, you see on the chart by the darker line between them. Now, under subpoint B, Apostles 1, 5, and 9 are always Peter, Philip, and James of Alphaeus. Always. The other orders may get mixed up. 2, 3, and 4 may be scrambled. 6, 7, and 8 may be scrambled. 10 and 11 get swapped around. All right? 12 is always last, regardless. But the order on the rest of them can be mixed up. But number 1, number 5, and number 9 are always the same. Peter, Philip, and James of Alpha is likely the leaders of their third, the leader of their particular group of four. Peter, of course, being the leader of all 12. And you spot that on the chart. In all four columns, it's Simon Peter across the top. In all four columns, Philip is the name, as uh, Apostle number five. And in all four columns, it's James of Alphaeus. The words, the son of, I put in italics. There's no, they're not in the Greek. It's just James of Alphaeus, but it's understood to be a father-son relationship. is the natural reading of, of in, uh, in a genealogical listing. James of Alphaeus. And you might read things, it could be the brother of, the grandson of, whatever. But the natural reading is, it's of, that is father to son, just like we have James of Zebedee. And there's no doubt there, because we have a story about James and John, their father Zebedee in the boat. So the natural reading of all of these genealogies is that when you have the ofs, it's son of, as a direct father-son relationship. Thirdly, sub point C, the Twelve is a proper name for these apostles of the Lamb. The Twelve is a proper name for these apostles of the Lamb. All right, and that's the number of them. And when one dies, like Judas, the twelve is missing somebody. And there was a need for a replacement to fill the twelve as apostles of the Lamb. So take it as a technical term. Hoi dode, hoi is the is the Greek. Now... There's a lot of Scripture there to write down, and I'll give you time to get them all down. In the Gospel of Matthew, you have chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 5. That's where the twelve are sent out two by two to do ministry. You have chapter 11 and verse 1. That's where the twelve come back. They're identified again as the twelve. In Matthew 19:28, there's the twelve. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Very important scripture, not only for today, but for future things down the road to stop and consider. People confuse it when they blend Israel and the church. And they, this is one of the verses they throw in there when they say, that, you know, Israel replace, or the church replaces Israel, or blah, 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 and all this other confusion. And they say, well, then how come the twelve apostles are going to sit on the twelve tribes of Israel? And they'll throw it right back in your face and say, there, see? You know, you start to blend church and Israel. No, you don't. There's no church yet. He doesn't tell apostles of the church age that they're going to sit upon the twelve tribes of Israel. He, twel- he tells apostles... Of the dispensation of Israel. Jewish aged apostles. That they're going to sit upon the 12 tribes. The thrones of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's no blending of the church here. Because the church isn't here yet. You read the church into it. When you know that later on. These apostles become church age apostles. With a spiritual gift of apostle. And the spiritual office. Church age office of apostle. But we're not there yet. We're still in the Old Testament. As far as dispensations are concerned. So, uh, Matthew 19:28 is very important. And also, it's important as far as why was there a necessity for a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Because there's going to be a throne coming up in the millennium that pertain that needs somebody to sit on it that's going to judge the tribe of Israel. And uh, it wouldn't be Judas on that throne. Okay, It's going to be Matthias on that throne. Now, uh, next chapter over in chapter twenty and verse seventeen he took the twelve aside by themselves again preparing them for the cross there's many many more disciples besides the twelve, but they though they are an identifiable group used three times in chapter twenty six verse fourteen verse twenty verse forty seven the uses in Mark and Luke are largely, uh, in John, are largely similar to uh, the ones we've seen already in Matthew. I don't know that we need to look up all of those. The ones in John 6 distinguished the 12 from the other disciples when they were, he fed the 5,000 and he utilized the 12 to help feed that, that number. Finally, let's grab these ones though in Acts and in Revelation because these follow the death of Christ. And uh, actually, in Acts 6 and Acts 15, we're dealing with the church age. Acts chapter 6. Even though the term 12 doesn't apply, I think you should also make note of Acts 1.26 where it says they drew lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the eleven apostles. So what does that mean? He became number twelve. Once again restored that number. The eleven was restored back to twelve with the addition of Matthias. <coughs> Paul hasn't been saved yet. See, there's a whole crowd out there that says Paul was the replacement for Judas. Paul was apostle number twelve. And they say in that procedure in Acts 1 with the casting of lots and all that that was just peter's bright idea but he was wrong no the holy spirit recorded acts chapter one for us the holy spirit had plenty of opportunities to tell us that this was peter's bright idea but it was wrong holy spirit doesn't tell us that this was uh peter's idea but as in everything else being accomplished here it was at the uh instigation of the holy spirit under inspiration that had this process complete And we notice that because in Acts chapter 6, we have the 12. While the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples. They are an identifiable group. They are called the 12. And they are the apostles of the Lamb. The 12. They were apostles prior to the church even beginning. Likewise, Matthias was an apostle before the church even beginning, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Matthias was numbered with the 11 in Acts chapter 1. Now, it's the same circumstance. Remember, the Lord's getting overwhelmed. There's all these crowds from everywhere. and Now he appoints 12. Now here is them. They're being overwhelmed. There's all these widows everywhere. Right? We're being neglected. We need this. We need that. Okay? And there's nothing, I mean, it's all legitimate. They do have legitimate needs. It's not like they're just whining and, and, and being problems and thorns when, when uh, these are real legitimate considerations here. They need ministry. And, and it's not being distributed properly. So the 12 to summon the congregation of the disciples and says, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Call the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is where the first deacons were selected so that they could handle the administrative things and keep the disciples, keep the apostles free to study and teach. And so they selected uh, Stephen and, and uh, these other men here that are listed in verse 5. All right. And... The circumstances that follow there. All right. They are the identifiable group of the twelve over in chapter 15 in verse (coughs) five. Notice. Um, That's not it. Hmm. Well, we don't have the number 12, but notice we do have the identifiable apostles when Paul and Barnabas arrive and they take up these issues. Notice that they have the apostles and elders. We start to see the group here called elders. I thought there was a reference to the 12 in this chapter, and I'm not seeing it. I will jot myself a note and hunt for it, and I'm not wasting everybody's time in the middle of class. So they are an identifiable group, and by the time we get to the the uh, New Jerusalem being built, hmm. okay, Revelation twenty one fourteen. There were three gates. It says, uh it carried me away in the spirit, great and high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of clear crystal jasper. It had, great, it had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, the names which were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west." And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now that, that genitive phrase, of the Lamb, is what sets apart these apostles from any other apostles you can find, such as Paul, such as Barnabas, such as James, such as uh, Jude, and, and the other apostles we find mentioned in the New Testament. You have more apostles than the twelve, but these are the twelve, and they're called the apostles of the Lamb, that is, those that were alive and, and witnesses of the Lamb. That is, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. They, they were witnesses of the ministry of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. From his baptism to his resurrection. Apostles of the Lamb. Paul couldn't make that claim. okay? Because he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ from the baptism onward. He was a witness of the resurrection because he saw the, the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. All right. The uh, point six: There will be additional apostles. Oh wait, point D. After the death of Judas Iscariot, they were known as the eleven. We have uh, three pass, four passages where the eleven appear: Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, Mark sixteen fourteen, Luke twenty-four nine and thirty-three, and they required a replacement to bring their number to completion, described in Acts one twenty-six, followed by Acts two fourteen. Acts 2.14, where we have the 12. It says, uh, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Finally, under point six, there will be additional apostles, plural, beyond the 12 in the dispensation of the church. But don't confuse them. There will be additional apostles beyond the twelve in the dispensation of the church. But these men had stewardship responsibilities. That is, these twelve men had stewardship responsibilities in the dispensation of Israel prior to their role as apostles to the church. Got to keep that in, in mind. Otherwise, we we end up confused and we end up blending Israel and the church. The same thing with prophets, by the way. Agabus is a prophet in the book of Acts. Uh, Sylvanus, called Silas, is a prophet in the book of Acts. Uh, Traveled with Paul of Thessalonica, as a co-author of the first and second epistles to Thessalonia. Um, other prophets. Uh, Philip had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Okay? Now, those are church-age prophets in the dispensation of the church with the spiritual gift of prophet in the church. Alright? They're not the same as Elijah and Moses and Samuel and Hosea, you know, all the Old Testament prophets. Okay? So, I, I think we're okay on the Old Testament prophets and not confusing them with New Testament prophets, right? Don't we keep those separated fairly well? I think we do. Especially because in the Old Testament, the prophets were so prominent. And in the New Testament, the prophets are secondary. Almost invisible because they fall under the the ministry of the apostles. Every single time we find a prophet in the New Testament, he's operating underneath the oversight of an apostle. The foundation of the church was built upon the apostles and the prophets. So, I don't think we have a problem distinguishing between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. I think, though, where we fail to recognize is that these are Old Testament apostles that ministered during the dispensation of Israel, age of the Incarnation. They later became, they crossed into the church and became New Testament apostles, as well as others, Paul, Barnabas, James, the half-brother of our Lord, Jude, the half-brother of our Lord. They became apostles by gift, by office. They were apostles in the dispensation of the church, but they were not part of the twelve. That, I think, is overlooked and one that we want to stop and consider. And they have no, uh, no future reward promised to them as any part of Israel's inheritance because they did no ministry in terms of Israel's stewardship. But these twelve did. These twelve have, not only they have church age reward awaiting them as the bride of Christ, but they also have stewardship of Israel reward awaiting them as having fulfilled stewardship responsibilities in the dispensation of Israel. And they will sit on the twelve tribes, on the twelve thrones, judging, as judges, the twelve tribes of Israel. All right. Now, we're out of time. As we look at that list of twelve, on some of them there are questions that pertain to the names. And so I put, in the very bottom line of your chart, I put notes on the names Uh, Bartholomew is likely a surname of Nathaniel. There are no Nathaniels in any list of 12. And uh, John, the Apostle John, is the one who writes about Nathaniel. And the Apostle John never mentions Bartholomew. And it's it's long been understood, the church fathers understood, that Nathaniel was the same as Bartholomew, closely associated with Philip, And uh, as we find it in John chapter 2. So we call him Nathaniel Bartholomew, Nathaniel son of Ptolemy. Thomas is called Didymus. You don't have any Didymuses in uh, your list of 12, but you do have Thomas. And uh, he is called Didymus in, uh, by the Apostle John three times in that epistle. And that is a meaning of the name. The Aramaic Thomas means twin. The Greek Thomas means twin. Didymus means twin. All kinds of legends came up about Thomas the twin. You want to know what kind of stupid legends came up about Thomas the twin? Who was this twin? You know, if you're a twin, that means there's another one, right? Right? If you're a twin, there's somebody else, right? Well, some of the goofiest traditions came up about Thomas being the twin, but guess who he was the twin of? Jesus. Yeah. Now, guess what? If Jesus was a twin, born of a virgin without you know right are you, are you seeing problems here okay why some of these apocryphal legends and stuff anyway you think if there were twins in the manger we would have had some kind of reference to that in the all right no he wasn't the lord's twin james uh, matthew's also known as levi there's a lot of references to levi in the gospels but there's never a levi in a decapostologue why because Matthew and Levi are one and the same, that's why there's no, there's no uh, Nathaniel in the Log, because we already have Bartholomew listed there. There's no Levi in, the, in any Log, because we already have Matthew in there. James the son of Alphaeus may also be called James the Less in Mark 15:40, but even that's not totally certain. I believe he's simply called James of Alphaeus because uh, he's the second James in the, in the list. So to keep him separate from James of Zebedee, they called him James of Alphaeus. Levi also was a son of Alphaeus, by the way, and there's been some speculation that Matthew and, and that James were brothers, but you can't really know that Alphaeus was a pretty common name. And then the one with the most names of all is Lebius Thaddeus Judas, not Iscariot, son of James. And uh, you think if you have a name like Judas, you want to make everybody know you're not that Judas. Right? How do you do? My name is Judas. No, not that one. Okay? Can you imagine all these terrible stories about Judas? And this. That's why, you know, Adolf was a pretty common name up until the 1930s. It hadn't been given much since, since then, right? Lebius, Thaddeus, Judas, not Iscariot, son of James. Same guy, multiple names. All right. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this opportunity today. Day by day, Father, great is thy faithfulness. We thank you for it. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.